Our scripture reading this morning is from the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So far the reading. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Love Each Other, because Christ lives in you. Now Corinthians 13 is often used as a, as a wedding text. Perhaps some of you may even have, have had this as your wedding text. It's about love after all. And it sounds good at a wedding, right? When a man and a woman are joined together as husband and wife, they want to hear that love never ends. But this passage is about so much more than the love upon which marriage must be based. It's about love or the love upon which our whole life as redeemed children of God should be based. Taking it any other way is, is doing, like doing what the, the weary traveller, the travelling salesman did when he kicked off his shoes one evening in, a, in his hotel room. He, his boss had sent him out to the outback to try and get rid of all the, the products they wanted to offload, but he'd not been very successful. So as he flopped down in his bed that evening in the Green Dragon Motel, he was quite depressed. Then he saw the New Testament that someone had left in the room and although he was an atheist, he remembered that some of his friends told him that in times of worry they found comfort and direction in the Bible. And he thought he'd start a few chapters in, you know, just to skip those begat passages. Um, so he flipped ahead to, to Matthew 27 and his eyes were drawn to verse, it was verse 5 where Matthew writes how in his despair Judas went and hanged himself. Now, you know, he didn't find this very uplifting. So he flicked some 30-odd pages further on and not wanting to read the whole section, he poked his finger at a verse and this is what he read. You, go and do likewise. Now, understandably, he didn't find this all that helpful either. 
So he again skipped over a, a few pages and he put his finger on down and picked another text. He saw another commandment by Jesus. What you're going to do, do it quickly. Now friends, this, this slightly sad story shows how if we take a text out of context, we can get its meaning and its application very, very wrong. And this is what very often, often happens with this passage on love that we're looking at today. So what then is the context of this passage? Paul stayed in Corinth about 18 months during his second missionary journey. Many people had come to faith in that time, but division and factions arose after he left. The Corinthian believers became puffed up with their own importance. They, they got caught up in arguments about spiritual gifts. They, for instance, emphasized speaking in tongues above other workings of the Holy Spirit, to such an extent that wild disorder resulted in their worship services. They concentrated so much on these things that they lost sight of the love that they were supposed to have for one another. And this is why Paul is writing to them to correct their thinking. Chapters 12 and 14, that sort of bookend this chapter 13, they have to do with the, the gift of speaking in tongues, with prophesying, with preaching, and with healing gifts. And smack bang in the middle of these two chapters, we have this great love chapter. And sandwiching this, this chapter on love between the other two chapters dealing with the same content or the same subject is a way of emphasizing its importance. It's given even more prominence by how Paul ends chapter 12 where he says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. It's almost like he's anticipating the Corinthians are going to say, like Tina Turner, Turner did, that love is just a second-hand emotion. Why are you concentrating so much on that? But Paul is singing from a different song sheet, instead telling them that love is what it's all about. Listen, people, he says, listen, you boast about all these other gifts, but they are useless if they are not based on love. They don't have any value in the eyes of God unless they are grounded in a deep-seated love. They don't mean a thing if they're not centered on the type of love that Christ told us about. Such love, Paul says, such love is the gift above all gifts. It is the more excellent way. It's essential, it's alive, and it endures. So that's what he does, does in, this, in this chapter. He's, in the first three verses, he talks about love being essential. In verses 4 to 7, he talks about love being alive. And then in the last section, he talks about love being enduring. So in the first three verses, then Paul makes the point that love is essential. It's essential because all the other gifts should have love as a basis. It is, in other words, foundational. Other gifts may be admirable, they may be even praiseworthy, but unless they are based in love, they are worthless. Without love, even the most exemplary use of a spiritual gift in any church community would be useless. A church may have many good qualities, but without love, it cannot be a vital or a, a living and alive church. And he drives home this point to the Corinthians that the things on which they place such high value are worthless without love whether it's speaking in tongue, 
proclaiming or prophesying God's word, charity or even knowledge. And this is still a problem today in many churches. And oh boy, if you can't do this or that, then you're not really a Christian. A few years ago, someone called me to ask about Tivoli and and during our conversation, he asked if we spoke in tongues in Tivoli. For we couldn't be reborn Christians if we couldn't speak in tongues. Some churches get this whole gift of prophecy, the whole prophecy thing wrong because they focus just on supernatural revelation from God and not realizing that the the gift of prophecy also has to do with the proclamation or the, the telling forth of the word of God. But again, without that gift of supernatural revelation, you're sort of classified as a a second-hand or a second-rate Christian. And in some churches it's the same when it comes to the knowledge of Scripture. If you can't quote chapter and verse when something or where something is in the Bible, or if you can't memorize certain passages, then you're just that little bit below those who have been blessed with, with such a memory. And it's to people such as these that Paul says, What's love got to do with it? Everything. Love has to do with everything. Love isn't just something that, we, that we're called to do. It's the essence of what we are to do, of all that we do. It's the oxygen of Christian life. Without love, speaking in tongues is just a clanging noise. Without love, prophetic powers are useless. Without love, understanding all the mysteries and And having all the knowledge is worthless. Without love, we can give away all that we have, but we will gain nothing. You know, sometimes those who've done some theological studies or or who've been Christians for a long time can become puffed up with all the knowledge that they've gained or that they think that they've gained. And they forget that a loving heart should lie at the heart of all ministry. The call to be a preacher, for instance, is about ministering God's word with a loving and pastoral heart. The call to be an office bearer is about ministering the love that you've been given to those in need. And make no mistake, make no mistake, we are all ministers of God in that sense. We are to minister the love that we've been given to those with whom we come into contact. Love should be the oxygen of of all, all of us, all our ministries. If our work isn't undergirded by and infused with love, all that we do, all that we do will be in vain. It'll just be white noise. And this goes also for how as redeemed people of God, We share our wealth, our material wealth, as well as our wealth of time and our wealth of effort. You know, as a church, we give regularly to mission work, and that's a a really good thing. And we can we can always give more, of course. But, beloved, if we're doing that just because we agreed as a denomination to do it in certain ways and we're not doing it in love, it's a waste. As Paul says, if we were to give away all that we have, and it's not in love, it'll be a waste. We will gain nothing. 
Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. That's the love that's required from you for me, from me. If we are truly God's redeemed people, then love must infuse everything we do, everything we do as individuals, everything that we do as a church. It must permeate into everything we do and say, everything we think about every day. That's the first thing that we're told in this letter, that love is foundational, it's essential. So what does that look like practically? That's what verses 4 to 7 tell us when it says that love is alive. So in verses 4 to 7, Paul Paul really gets down to brass tacks. He shows us what a, a living love looks like by listing a whole bunch of love characteristics. Amongst other things, he says, love is patient, it's kind, it's not arrogant or rude or boastful or prideful or self-absorbed. Now he's, he's describing, he's not describing for us the sort of, you know, the sort of feel-good feeling that you have when you, when you see your wife coming across a passage towards you or coming to you in a, in a crowd. It's not that sort of feel-good th- uh, feeling. It's not the feeling you feel about the guy that you're about to get married to. This isn't about emotion or, or something that you feel. The love that Paul's talking about isn't a groovy kind of love, but a doing kind of love. Love is about something that's, that's dynamic. It's a, it's a living thing. It requires action. To put it another way, love isn't a noun, it's a verb. It hopes, it acts, it rejoices, it believes, and it endures. Love requires action. And often that action is, is exactly the opposite of what you would really want to do or say in a particular circumstance. It puts aside selfish desires and it acts for the good of the other person. That's the first thing we see when we look at these properties or these facets of love, is that because love is patient and kind, it cannot be rude, it cannot be arrogant, it cannot be resentful or angry. Or to put it another way, love has to result in respect. It has to lead to treating others with respect. Even if you disagree with them, Even if you're upset with them, you can still treat them with respect. Perhaps you've heard someone say, or or perhaps you've even said this yourself. I can't change who I am. I've got a short fuse. I get angry quickly. And sometimes I come across as arrogant. That's just who I am. I think if we were to say something like that to Paul, we'd, we'd most likely get a response like this. Get over yourself. That's who you were. That's not who you are any longer. You are now one of Christ's people. If you believe in Jesus, that's not who you are any longer. You are a follower of Jesus. Walk in the way of Christ. Act like it. Act like it. you are one of Christ's people. Truly loving God and truly living in thankfulness for what he has done for you and for me, must, le- must lead to loving our neighbours in the way that we've been loved. And one such aspect, one such aspect of love is keeping a lid on your temper. 
being the type of person that blows up at the slightest provocation, is not just bad for your health. It's also a huge flashing sign that things are not right in the relationship department. Relationship with God, first of all, but also relationship with others. The fires that are lit by an angry response do not come from a place of love. It doesn't originate in love. It comes from the devil itself. That's what James does when he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire. By what? By hell. Now, biting your tongue when you're upset isn't easy. But it's an act of love. Saying something hurtful can, can never come from a point of love. Responding with words that belittle someone else is not loving. And it's most definitely not a sign of respect or love for the one whom we profess as saviour. If others do things or say things that hurt you, forgive them because you love them in Christ. If they make you angry, tame your tongue because Christ has forgiven you. If they frustrate you, forgive them because Christ lives in you. And if Christ lives in us, then there's no place for rudeness, for arrogance, for resentment. And the same applies in how we interact with each other in our homes. A lack of patience, a lack of kindness, often comes out in disrespect for others or in rudeness towards others. That's not based in love. Disrespecting our parents by disobeying them isn't just unloving, it's also a sin. Parents disrespecting each other with name-calling? It's also not loving. It's also a sin. Husbands and wives belittling each other, whether it's in, in public or in private? They are not fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. And yes, some may argue that's just our sinful nature coming out, and to an extent that's true, but beloved in Christ, haven't we been lifted out of the muck of our sin And brought into the light. We've been made one with Christ. We've been made one with Christ. And we've been called to put off the old self. If we are united with Christ. If he lives in us. We must love one another. And verses 4 to 7 goes on to tell us that such love is evidenced by selflessness. It doesn't envy or boast. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing and it endures all things. And this is not where the Corinthians were at. You see, they valued themselves so highly that they were like inflated balloons. But friends, love isn't like a balloon that's full of hot air. Love doesn't puff itself up. Instead, it seeks to build up. It flows in flows out in showing others that you appreciate them. It flows out in affirming others. Love is characterized by the the affirmation of others. It means telling them and showing them that you appreciate them. Your love for others is a sign of your spiritual vitality. 
So let me ask you, have you affirmed someone today? Have you showed that you really care for them? Now please don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't about something that will save you. It's something that shows you have been saved. It shows that you are walking in the love of Jesus. It's a question we must all ask ourselves. What is our walk showing? What is our walk showing? Do we show others that we really care for them? Our text also speaks of love not seeking one's own advantage. Whereas verse 5 says, not insisting on your own way. Such a love focuses more on responsibilities than on rights. It focuses on what we ought to do rather than what we think others owe us. I can't help thinking about our servant king. Our servant king, the one who came to serve, not to be served. If Christ loved us so much that that he took on the work of a lowly slave to, to wash the feet of his disciples, if the king of all kings did that, how can you and I really put our needs, our needs, before those of others? In the face of that amazing love, how can we not serve our brothers and sisters in all ways with love and with joyful love? Such love, such a spirit of servanthood requires humility, not a puffed uppiness. Yes, my heart and your heart, our hearts are still in that process of that's called sanctification. So we, we will struggle with this humility. We may not all think alike, but because of Christ living in us, we can all love the same. We might not think the same, but we can love the same. In the power of Jesus, we can stand up and say, Here I am, Lord, if you lead me, I will hold your people in my heart. Brothers and sisters, friends, love is truly about giving rather than receiving. Turn to your God. Turn to your God. Come before him in prayer and and implore him to let you love, to let you love so that your love for others will flood all the chambers of your heart so that you can fulfill that command, his command, to love your neighbour as yourself. So this passage teaches us that love is essential, teaches us that love is alive, also teaches us in the last couple of verses that love endures. It's it's interesting that Paul spends so much time explaining the, the enduring nature of love. Love outlasts all other gifts, he says. Prophecies will have their fulfilment. Tongues will serve their temporary purpose and our partial knowledge will vanish. But love will outlast them all. Love outlasts all the other gifts. Love lasts through all eternity. As verse 13 tells us, So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Doesn't this tell us that love is something special? Doesn't it tell us that love is is all important, that it is the most outstanding, the most excellent way? And isn't that exactly what what Scripture's command to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbours like ourselves 
what that really means? Where do we get the power to do this? It comes from being made one with Christ. When we are united with Christ, when we are united in Christ, we are clothed with his righteousness. We are given a new nature. It's no longer we that love, live, but Christ that lives in us. It's not by our power that we're called to love, but in the power of Christ. Christian love is empowered by the Spirit of Christ. Our love flows from his love. In his amazing love, the Father sent his Son. And in his amazing love, Jesus came and he died and he was raised so that we may never die. So that we may have that secure hope of eternal life. In the death of Jesus on the cross, we caught a, we caught a glimpse of what the fullness of, of God's love looks like. Now we can only see dimly in a, as if in a faint mirror. But in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time when Jesus returns, we will see and we will experience the fullness of his eternal love face to face. And while we wait, while we wait here, while we live between Christ's first and second coming, we can and we must love with all that we are. Love with hearts that overflow with love. Love for our God. Love for each other in the body of Christ. And also love for the lost. In the power of Christ who lives in us. There's no one here today, no one here today that's too smart or too simple, too rich or too poor, too young or too old to perform the greatest work in the world. The work of loving each other as we've been loved. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, love each other, love each other because Christ lives in you. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you will work this passage into our hearts and lives in, in such a way that we will know more fully what it means to be people that are loved by Jesus. Pour out upon us, O Lord, the love that comes from your throne of grace. Grant us an increased measure of this love so that we might live lives that, that glorify you through the love that we show to each other and to the world. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.